what an honor it is always to come and to open God's Word with you. If you have your Bibles, if you will, open them to Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. And I want us to look at today the uh, sneaky serpent. I said, I hope I'll be able to get that out when I say it, the sneaky serpent. And there it goes. We all know and we would all agree that the devil, that's who the serpent is, always loves to show up just when things are going well. Things seem to be going great and he rears up that little head and he wants to begin to cause problems and he does it because that's his nature. He's the father of lies. He loves deception, and snakes are sneaky. If you have ever seen a snake in the grass, it is slithering along very carefully and very sneaky. If you're driving down the road, I believe these snakes have a convention that teaches them to come together and how to look like a stick in the road so that you won't run over it and slide your tires on him. They are some sneaky little devils, amen? And Satan is exactly that way. He has perfected being sneaky, and he has perfected showing up at just the most inopportune time because he doesn't like it when things go well. He doesn't like it when God's people are on their knees and praying and God's people are moving in a mighty way. He wants to sneak in in such a way that he can cause division and begin to tear that down. When there's unity within the church, there's absolutely nothing that can stop the church. When there's unity among the believers, God's people, and they're working together in cohesion with God, there is nothing that can stop them, but division very quickly can begin to tear up a church. Division can begin to cause problems, and people don't want to come around, and they're no longer moving together. And when the stinky serpent shows up, then we no longer want to pray, and we begin to become weak because we're giving up our prayer time. We're giving up our time in the Lord. So I want us to look at the sneaky serpent. If you remember, we've been talking about uh, Peter and John had been speaking God's word boldly. We had Pentecost where the Holy Spirit fell on them. They began to be so filled and anointed with Holy Spirit that when they spoke, God allowed everyone to hear in their own language and the, the numbers began to multiply. And then they were going into temple one day and there was a man who needed to be healed and through the power of the Holy Spirit within them, they healed this man and it began to give them an opportunity to proclaim God's greatness and the power. Because when they were asked, it was in the power of the name of Jesus Christ. And there is, church, power in the name of Jesus Christ. You let that sneaky serpent get close to you and begin to come after you and you mention the name of Jesus Christ, he'll run quicker than I run from him. He'll run from you. There is power. There is authority 
in the name of Jesus Christ. And because they were proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they were brought before the temple leaders and the religious leaders, and they began to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ to even the religious leaders. We began Acts looking at the church is not the four walls that we're sitting in today. That is one type of church. But the church is made up of the body and the believers of Jesus Christ. And he gave them the mandate to go to Jerusalem and proclaim the message first. And then it would begin to spread from there. And that's exactly what we see happening. They're proclaiming in the temple to the religious leaders about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they were set free. And when they were set free, they went back and they began to speak to the other believers and the believers began to to be anointed and filled and i want us to pick up today with looking at the sneaky serpent but i want us to look at first of all the generosity of the believers if you have your bible if you would stand as we read the first portion of our scripture today out of acts chapter 4 beginning in verse 32 And it said, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. And not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. And with great power the apostles were giving testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace fell upon them. For there was no, not a needy person among them, For all who were owners of a land or house would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales. And they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as any had need. Now Joseph, a Levite of Siberian birth, who was called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Father God, thank you for your word. Father, thank you that your word does not go out void. Lord, there is power. And Father, there is a message in your word. Father, we do understand here today that your word was written to a group of people many years ago, but because of the authority and the power, there is application to us today. And Lord, I pray that you would help me to step aside and that you would just fill this vessel, this servant, to be used by you. And Father, would you speak through me? And Lord, would you allow those listening to hear with clarity? Would you open their ears to hear from you and what you want to say to them? And Father, may we then respond accordingly to you. And Father God, we just pray everything in the precious most holy name of your son, Jesus. You may be seated. I want you to notice the, the generosity of the believers, but let's look there at verse 32. And the congregation, that's those that were gathered together, of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. The group that was gathered together at this day of believers was of one heart and soul. One heart, one soul. They were so unified that they were a family. It's 
what we have here at Mount Olivet. We have a, a family. We come together. We, we understand that in a family, it might not always be your way. Sometimes it is, but we understand that we come together in unity and we agree that if we're moving forward in the name of Jesus Christ, that the whole story doesn't have to be about me. And as your pastor, that's the same way. The whole story doesn't have to be about me. I'm not a dictator. I'm just a servant of God that comes along and tries to lead. But I do it through serving. It's y'all, the church. And we must come together in this unity just as they were one heart and one soul. I believe that as a church, we're going to see this and need this more and more in the days to come. With what's going on in our nation, what they're trying to do, things are becoming different. People, they're trying to separate everybody out. You know, I was in a store just the other day, and on the, I think I shared this with y'all Wednesday night, on the, the counter of the store, it said, due to a national shortage of change, that exact change was due. I'm like, well, what happened to the change? How did we get in? shortage of change in the nation the little lady behind the counter she asked me with a chuckle she said well did it catch COVID and die off they're trying to change how we do society the government's trying to to step in and to change and we as a church have got to understand that at times we're going to have to rely on people I believe that one day probably not too far along we might be back to some of that old-time barter and exchange. You know, I might go to Robert and say, you know, Robert, I need my car worked on. I have a dozen eggs. Maybe Robert needs something, and I have it, and I can share with him. There's going to come a day that people, not just out in the world, but in our own church, have needs. And, but I believe the part he's talking about here is this one heart and one soul. You've got to be together. If there becomes dissension then that sneaky serpent is going to try to, to win the battle. Everything belonged to everyone. They were willing to do. Let, let's look at it this way because I know some of your wheels are spinning. And you're saying, really? You want me to go sell my house and give my money to you? No. But I believe that as believers of God, we have to be willing to help each other that's in need. You know, there's been a time that I've needed there's been a time that you've needed, and we're not doing a handout. We're helping. We're coming together. We're doing what it takes to get the believers through. You read all through Scripture, and you go to the end of Revelations, and you're going to hear about the end days. Are we in the end days? Is Jesus coming tomorrow? I can't answer that. I can believe the more that we look, the more we begin to see prophecy unfolding that reveals the end time. But I also believe that when this Bible was written all these years ago, they thought Jesus was coming right around the corner. I don't know when he's coming. But he does tell me that we're to live every day as if it's our only day. And there's hard times, and we, we see how food is needed, even in Revelations and the devastation that came on. But I want you to notice that they were of one heart. They were unity together, and they began to bring things but they didn't just take them and disperse them out everywhere. If you notice there, it, it shows us at verse 32, 
excuse me, verse 34, for there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sale, and they laid them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each as had need. How would we see that today? That would be bringing your tithe and offering, bringing a, a free will offering, something that you have, and you bring it to the church. Because the church house is the storehouse. And then from there, the church can distribute to those who have need. Yes, there's times that we pull some money out of our pocket along the roadside and we help people. But I believe people know the church, and the church is the center of God's work and a place that can be used to distribute that out. These apostles, they would administer it. They would allow it to be given through them. And that's exactly what we do here. We have a benevolent fund. And I hope to see that fund grow because I believe as the days go, we're going to need more and more of that. I believe our first responsibility is to those in our congregation. And then we're to take beyond that and be able to use to reach out. Because you know as well as I do, someone that's hungry, they don't care what I have to say until they know how much I care for them. When your belly is hungry and it's rumbling and you hadn't eaten in two or three days, you really don't care what anyone has to say. As good news as this gospel is, but if we're able to reach out and to minister to someone and to be able to help them, then they're going to be willing to listen to what we have because most people today that are not inside the church have a negative attitude toward the church. Number one, they think all the church does is preach rules and regulations. They believe the church is full of hypocrites. And they believe that the church as a whole doesn't do what it says. And there are some churches like that. But as we begin to become known as a light on this hill in Stanley, I hope that that is able to be changed about our church and other churches but I also want you to notice about the generosity of the believers is that they were freely giving and they gave for the benefit of others. They were not held at gunpoint in saying, go sell something and bring the money. They wanted to help others. They were all in unity. They understood that there was needs and they were doing whatever possible it was for them to be able to meet the needs. There was generosity. But what did I tell you when we began about the sneaky serpent? He loves to show up right at the most inopportune time. Right when things are going good, the apostles are speaking, people are coming to the Lord, the church is coming together, everybody's helping everybody. And then secondly, we see not just the generosity of the disciples, but we see the hypocrisy of Ananias and Sapphira. Look there in your Bibles at chapter 5. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property and kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land. While it remained unsold, did it not remain yours? 
And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. A great fear came over all who heard of it. The young men got up and covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. Now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter responded to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for such a price, excuse me, land for such and such a price. And she said, Yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, Why is it that you have agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out as well. And immediately she fell at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. A great fear came over the whole church and all who heard of these things. There was hypocrisy. Now I want you to understand very quickly here that what we're going to look at, it wasn't because they sold the land and only gave a portion of it. We saw right there in Scripture, he said, it was your land, you could do with it what you wanted. You didn't have to sell it. You chose to sell it. But where the hypocrisy come is Ananias and his wife came together with deception. They came together with the intent and the idea of looking all religious before everybody else. Oh, everybody else is doing it. I'm going to do it too. I, I sold my property. Here you go. Here's all of what I sold the property for. But that's not what they did. They came in, and through deception, they kept back a portion, but saying that they were giving it all. That's the problem. That's where the lie comes in. That's where the hypocrisy, trying to act better than who they are, proclaiming to be one thing, that would be like me selling a car for $100 and coming to you and saying, Here's $50, that's what I sold the car for. Is that right or is that wrong? That's wrong. That's deception. Because it wasn't that they didn't give the whole thing, but they lied about the amount. And we see it, and they, even what is fearful here that we see is Ananias conspired with his wife. He's supposed to be the priest of the home. He's supposed to lead her right. But he says, Sapphira, I tell you what, let's keep some of this for ourselves. We'll tell him we're giving it all, and you agree with me. And we'll go in there, and everything will look good. Well, let me tell you, God hates liars. Deception. It's not the people, it's the act. But here we see so quickly that they said that when they had tested the Spirit, that Ananias lied and he deceived them. It says in verse 5, And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last, and great fear came over all who heard of it. Ananias lied. Why did God choose at that moment to let that be his time? That I can't tell you, but I can tell you he doesn't like liars. He doesn't like deception. That's where that sneaky serpent comes in and he begins to cause 
division. People would have found out. Even Sapphira, the same thing happened to her. She come in, and Peter asked her point blank, is this what you sold the land for? You know, she could have easily said no, because Ananias did it under deception. Here she is being asked outright. She said, that's what we sold it for. And because of that, the Lord took her life as well, and Sapphira died too, because she lied along with her husband. There's the fear of the Lord, verse 11, and a great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. I I believe some of a fear of God, but more than that, the fear used in the term of reverence. Often when we think of fear, we think of being scared. I'm afraid, I'm fearful of a snake. A lot of times in Bible when we see fear of the Lord, it's talking about a holy awe of reverence, understanding His sovereignty. They saw portrayed right here before them, God knew the truth. They didn't deceive God. They were trying to deceive their people to make themselves look better. But thirdly, we also see the ministry of the apostles. Let's look at Chapter 5, verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of them, men and women, were constantly added to their number, to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. All of this going on is opening the door and allowing the ministry of the apostles. The funds that were brought in allowed the apostles to minister to the needs of others, opening the door for them to show Jesus Christ and their signs and wonders working. The power of the Holy Spirit is so present that it's just rivaling with them. And they're following and they're sticking to the Lord and obeying His commands. And I love there the signs and the wonders that were happening allowed the people to understand that there was something different. But I see right there exactly what I see today, that the people respected them, but were not a part of them. You know, our society today, there are some who respect the church. There are some who will come to the church when they need help, but they don't want to be a part. There are some that understand that who we are and they respect that, but they won't know part of it. I forget who one of the early church fathers, I think it was, and there was a man in the town and he didn't believe in God. But he went to a revival meeting and this pastor got up and he began to to preach and proclaim the gospel. And he went back and he told some of his friends about what was happening there. And they said, well, you're not going back there again, are you? You don't believe. And they said, yes. He said, I'm going back. Well, why are you going back since you don't believe it? 
He said, I might not believe it, but that man preaching it sure believes it, and I can respect that. Do we believe in what we believe in, or do we just say we believe it? Do we come to church out of hypocrisy so people will think we're religious? Do we come to church so that we can gain a business or in a civic organization, get more members? What's our reason? Are we coming to the church to be with the church family and to worship the risen Lord and Savior? Signs and wonders were happening. You see, when the church comes together and there is unity of the believers, and there's generosity of the believers, the church can begin to grow, and the ministry is just rivaling here and going out everywhere. It says there that in verse 14, and all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women were constantly being added to their number. Because of what the Lord was doing and people seeing that and the ability of that, people were coming to know the Lord. People were bringing their sick to them. I mean, look at that, how much they respect them. They were bringing the sick on pilots and laying them out that just maybe the shadow of Peter would cast off on them. Peter knew it was the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 16, there was such an impact happening that people from cities in the vicinity, this wasn't in just in Jerusalem, wasn't just in Stanley, Louisiana, the word was spreading and the people in the vicinity were coming together and bringing those who were sick and afflicted with unclean spirits and they were being healed. The power of the Holy Spirit was moving in a mighty way and the ministry was spreading and people began coming from out of the area. The message begins to spread. When the church is in unity, then the sneaky serpent has a hard time trying to come in. And when the church is in unity and the church is generous, then the ministry goes beyond just these walls. The ministry goes out. It goes everywhere. And people all around begin to hear about it. And they begin to come and they begin to be healed. What would I love to see out of this message for us. I would love to see us following this with unity within us because I don't want the sneaky serpent in here trying to destroy us, trying to make us weak. I want us to be so unified that we're one heart and one spirit and that spirit is able to fill us and that when we need to be, there's generosity that we can help other people. But I want to do it for the fact of what it says at verse 16, and they were all being healed. This community, Stanley, our parish, DeSoto, our state, Louisiana, the United States of America, it needs healing. There are lost people all around us, our neighbors, people you pass every day, people you work with, people you come in contact with that need to hear the gospel message. And I can't do it all. That's why God forms the church for the power. 
the unity of us coming together. And I believe when we're in unity and that sneaky serpent is not here to tear us down, it's going to open the doors and we're going to continue to reach out. It's a hard time to do that right now with our distancing and our face mask and all that, that we need to do right now to protect ourselves. But do you know this is also the prime opportunity. While the sneaky serpent has his head raised in our nation and around the world trying to tear it apart, I believe that it is also waking up Christians and I believe that it is working on the hearts that don't know God. Because all of the people that we've always turned to as a world for the answer, I tell you, I don't, can't give you an answer for covid I don't know how it's spreading. I don't know what we've got to do to treat it. I don't know how long it's going to be around. Really, you're the one that everyone's always turned to, and now you don't have the answers? Well, my God and my Savior has the best answer, and that's Jesus Christ. And people are looking for answers. Their hearts and their minds are disturbed. And I believe it's allowing Holy Spirit a new opportunity to speak. And people want answers. Now, we can't give them the full answer to COVID. But we can sure give them hope for what happens if you're on the worst side of COVID. You know, people are dying all around us, left and right. And I hope none of them die without the Lord. Because at that moment that they die, the decision's over. They've either accepted Christ, they're going to heaven. They've rejected Christ and they're going to hell. And the sneaky serpent wants to raise up and cause dissension and hypocrisy so that they will follow him only to be deceived. I think a story I shared with y'all uh, several years ago. A gentleman was getting ready to die and he had an opportunity to tour hell before he died. And he got on the elevator and Satan took him down to hell and he looked around and the door opened up and there was a beautiful, luscious golf course. And everybody was out there just having a party and they were playing golf and they were shooting. He said, you know, I like that. I like golf. I think that's what I'm going to choose. Well, he chose hell and the day that he died... And the elevator opened, it was a deserted, dry, fiery land. And he said, what is this? This isn't what I agreed to. Satan said, I just had to show you what you wanted to see. This is what it really is. He's full of deception. And Satan wants to rear through that sneaky serpent his head so that there can be hypocrisy. People love to use that. There's hypocrisy within the church. Church, we need to be the same in these four walls than we are outside the church. When I see you in the store, you should still be my family. The same thing that I preach is the same thing I need to be living. The same thing you claim in your heart when you're here in church and you sing these songs and you read God's Word, you say amen when I'm preaching. It needs to be the same thing that you're living out there in the world. Because Satan will love to use that and people look for every excuse that they can find. Unity needs to be within the church. And through that unity, the sneaky serpent 
can't raise his ugly head. Church, may we come together stronger than ever. But the only way we can do that is in the name of Jesus Christ. It takes power. That power's here. May we tap into it in the days ahead as we still deal with uncertainties of how things are going to portray out as we deal with trying to follow rules. I'm so thankful for many of you that are willing to not sit in your seat. We have to spread out. I'm thankful that you're willing to come and, and, and still be distant. You know, that's unity. We come together and understand that we're coming here to worship the Lord. How close I sit to my friend doesn't matter. What pew I sit in doesn't matter. Uh, it really kind of uh, warmed my heart when someone told me the other day, I said, I, I appreciate you not having to sit in your normal seat. I know that's a little uncomfortable. And they said, I'll sit on the front row wherever I have to if I can come and worship with my family. We can make a difference, church, but we've got to be willing to stay unified and work through what we have to work through. And I believe on the other side, we can begin to see as long as we are generous with what we are at Mount Olivet, as long as we're generous with helping other people, as long as we're generous with our free spirit of Holy Spirit, like our motto says, we want people to come and to find the love of God so that they can understand and find forgiveness and begin to heal. And that's what we do when we're unified. We're able to let people know that. And all the difference will break out. May you bow your heads.